Ciao, and welcome to The Fatal Charm of Italy, a question-and-answer podcast hosted by me, Rick Zullo, from rickzullo.com. In each episode, my guests and I will attempt to unravel the mysteries of the Bel Paese, diving into diverse topics ranging from cultural curiosities, to travel advice, to language tips, to food discussions, always with a healthy dose of humor and a genuine affection for the object of our shared fixation, that paradise of exiles, Italy. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave an honest review if so inclined. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Buongiorno a tutti! I'm here today with Monica Cesarato from Venezia. She is a cook, uh, she does food tours of Venice. Uh, writer, and uh, very happy to have her again on my podcast. Welcome, Monica. Hi, thank you, Rick, and thanks so much for having me for having me on your podcast. It's nice to be able to speak about my beautiful city to yes. everybody. Yes. Well, you know, um, it's it's the middle of January. I'm sorry, it's early February now. We're talking. Oh and, yeah, uh, <laughs> you lost so, you lost 15 I, days. Yeah, have you? <laughs> I lost 15 days. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but anyway, my point was that it's sort of a low season right now. Anyway, yeah, uh, in Venice or in Italy in general. Uh, so I imagine it's not too busy with tourists right now. No, he's actually dead right now. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, let's say he has he has been quite dead more than usual i got to say because in the last uh we're talking about pre-covid so before 2019 okay um uh usually january january and february started to get full i'm not saying there were the busy times of august but uh in the last i would say from 2016 onwards uh, it got to a point where in venice practically you had people all the time it was spread throughout the 12 months. Wow. Um, obviously, with big peaks in summer, but right. it got to the point where even generally in February, there used to be the times where, you know, shops used to be closed, people used to go on holiday and whatever, so they didn't have to worry about the tourists. Instead, uh, for, uh, from 2016, I think we had the, the point where we had practically everybody, even January, February. And then... Uh, now we're back to what it used to be like. So practically everything is closed. Most of the restaurants, most of the hotels, most of the shops. Uh, I was there a couple of days ago and it was uh, deserted. Interesting. <laughs> deserted. Well, I mean, you get a little downtime, uh, you know, I mean, it's not a good thing, I guess. The tourism is important to the city. Uh, but some people like the, the wintertime. I mean, there's a certain mood in Venice in the winter. I mean, it's a little it's a little gray. Of course, it's colder. And but um, some people like it. And because of the fact that there are fewer tourists. So you kind of can, you know, explore a little more of the, the hidden parts of the city and, and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I would say that what was happening until 2015, 2016, the winter months were the months that were usually dedicated to the long term travelers. Right. So to people that will come to the city and will stay here for maybe three weeks, a month. Uh, I mean, Venice in winter is beautiful because you go the fog. Uh, yeah. We don't have a high water no more, so that's good. Uh, you have a fog, you have a rain. I mean, it's gray, but it's not a dreary gray. It's still right. very atmospheric. 
you know, right. very, very nice and magical. So that used to be the time where people, the, the real lovers of Venice, you know, those that have been coming over year after year, they used to come and stay like two, three weeks, maybe a month, if not more. Yeah. Um, it was cheaper for then, them, and it probably a lot of, yeah, you of a lot of write, writers and artists, and you know exactly, just exactly. Were... And what was happening was that many hotels used to close during this period, so a lot of people used to come and stay in proper apartments and so on. But as I was saying, from 2015, 2016, things changed because who were who was coming in winter were also short stay people. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, it wasn't the big numbers that you have in the summer, but still. And that meant, in a way, it wasn't so good for the Venetians to have so many people all the time anyway, because you don't get a moment of rest. Uh, you know, January and February, just before the carnival, was the time where Venetians used to kind of get the moment of breath, you yeah. know, to get your city back to yourself. So it was nice to have a long-term um, visitors, you know, was the stayed long because of course they, they they're not rushing around well yeah we should talk about that because i mean i think that's one thing that people I, I don't know venetians but you know just people in general talk about is that often venice is sort of a victim to being like this um you know very quick stop for people who touch are and taking, go. Huh? touch and go yeah <laughs> exactly i mean or even cruise ships so they come in for yeah. a few hours and you know we can talk about that too but uh you know yeah a little too much of just you know from the train station to saint mark's uh, to the Rialto Bridge, to San Marco and back. And that's yeah. pretty much it. And uh, it's a shame because there's so much more to see in the city. And um, I know it's, I know. it's a shame that some people don't, you know, take those longer stays. I, well, I was lucky enough. I was there for seven weeks once and it was just an amazing time. And that's, you know, I know. And people don't realize how many, actually, how many museums there are in the city, yeah. how many churches and how many uh, exhibitions, activities you can do that uh, besides going to San Marco Rialto, but I think in a way this is a fault of the city itself, of the authorities and of the marketing strategies that has been done for the last 20, 30 years, yeah. where they didn't um, push for long stay people. Uh, they just looked at numbers rather than at quality. Right. And uh, they didn't invest in exposing the city as a cultural center, but rather more as a money-making machine. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I'm we're sorry. trying to do, to change this, but uh, it's hard. <laughs> well, you know, you said the cultural things. I mean, so I did want to mention that. I mean, cause you do have the film festival, which is quite famous. And of course, Carivale, and there's the, uh, and then what's That's the- That's not the only, oh, we go so much more than that. Well, you what's the, to... uh, the, every two years, there's the art- uh, So. The... Uh, um, every two years you have, a, 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 um, one year we have the Art Biennale, one year we have the Architectural Biennale. Oh. Okay, so every year there is one of the two. Hmm. At the same time, every year we have the Musical Biennale. Okay. okay. Uh, the when carnival, is that? Uh, it is related to the Biennale of uh, the art, and, but it's to do with music and performing arts. So it's the before okay. or after or concurrently with those? It depends. I think it's spread in different times. I'm not so sure because it changes every year. Okay. Then you've got the Gothic Film Festival, of course. You have got uh, this year, uh, every two years, and it's going to be on this year in April, we have Homo Faber, that is a big, big exhibition that lasts about three weeks on the island of San Giorgio. Uh, and what he does, he gathers artisans from all over the world 
Puvamambi Island. And for a month, you can actually go and see these amazing talents on display. And when I'm talking to artists, and I'm not talking about your person just making a mask, I'm talking about deluxe, uh, incredible artists. I mean, uh, uh, two years ago, there was uh, the, um, there were jewelers uh, and um, Cartier, the people from Cartier displaying how, you know, how they make the jewelry. So it was something incredible. You have uh, uh, exhibitions spread all over the city that changes all, all the time because, you know, on the island of Judeca, for example, we have uh, um, a series of art galleries and they're always organizing events there. I mean, to be honest with you, throughout the year, oh, there is a Venice Fashion Week, the Venice Glass Week, the Venice Design Week. This year, we even had the Venice Cocktail Week. Uh, yes, I saw you your know, posts about that. You did a lot of research, oh, I saw. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think my, my liver wasn't so happy about that. But uh, the rest of the body was, of course. Of course. Um, but, um, yeah, there's loads and loads and loads. And then there is always, always a new exhibition at the Traoci on the Judeca where they always do um, uh, photo. Uh, you know, uh, uh, exhibitions of, of very famous photographers. Right. Then you've got the events on the different foundations all over the city. Then you've got, of course, all the different museums that always have long, um, long exhibitions. So exhibitions will usually last like six months. So, you know, uh, what's very interesting, for example, the Biennale is that it lasts six months because generally it's from May to November. And it allows the people not just to see beautiful art, but also to see beautiful art in settings that usually are close to the publics. Because many times the various curators uh, open the exhibitions in uh, palaces, in homes, they usually are not open to the public. So that's, I think, that's the best part of going to see the Biennale. The Biennale is not just the part in the Arsenale. Personally, I prefer the collateral events that are all free. And two years ago, I think we were talking about last year, did I go last year? I can't remember. Okay, two years ago, it was about 30 different locations that usually are not open to the public. So. Well, that's cool too, because I mean, it's it's interesting just to see inside some of these buildings and then, you know, that's, that's uh, his history and, and you know, I architecture know. and, and, all and that. you get so to see gardens that people don't realize gardens, in gardens, yeah. we got hundreds of gardens, but of course, because most of them are private, right. you don't get to see them. So it's, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I like that. It's uh, one particular thing about the, the city that I really love. But apart from that, we got so much going on. But it, the problem is that, we, I repeat, the city is not good at advertising the cultural uh, events that they have. Uh, even us, but we live here, we get to find out like one week before it happens. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm, you know. Uh, yeah, that's a shame. Week. Yeah, because it, it really does offer so much culture there. It's it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah. Now, uh, we're going to talk more about food later. Uh, we're going to jump over to my other podcast later and talk about your, your, your food. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all the things that you do with your book and your... Um, your, your, your cook tours and, and, and all this, but um, I wanted to ask you more, some, some more things about the, you know, some of the challenges that you're facing. And obviously the pandemic, we're all dealing with that. Mm -hmm. You said the aqua alta, the high water is not so bad this year or that you're not having it. Uh, what's Well, 
Well, um, what's happening is a few years ago, finally, after more than 20 years in the making, the actual MOSE, that's spelled M-O-S-E, and it's not uh, the yeah. name of uh, the prophet, but is an acronym <laughs> of uh, four words. It's, yeah, um, it's an acronym, right. What, what does acronym? it stand for? Oh my God, uh, uh, hold on, give me a second, I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> because I'll, I can I'll never it remember it because it's long. <laughs> but what it is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's some sort of uh, engineering project in the, in the Venetian yes, Lagoon. Yes, it's a that big, keeps... uh, it's a series of barriers, okay, barriers, yeah. that have been installed to stop uh, the high water. And I'm not talking about the normal water that uh, rises, you know, every six hours, you know, not the normal high water. We're talking no, about... Yeah. The big events uh, like in 2019 when we had the major flood, you know, right. it wasn't a flood in a way, it was this high water, but it was way above the normal, um, uh, you know, uh, the normal level. Yeah. And what's happened is they finally, after millions and millions and a lot of corruptions, finally they actually got them to come up in 20, 2020, finally. They, uh, yeah, I think it was 2020. And it actually worked. So uh, the problem <laughs> there was is a lot that, of, I'm sure there's a lot of uncertainty about that. People like we're spending okay. all this money and time and maybe it's okay, not even so going to work. Let me get there. <laughs> let me get there. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least they, let's say it works. That doesn't mean it's good. I mean, okay. it works as in when they decide to pull them up, it does work. It does stop the water coming into the city, the majority of city, not St. Mark's, because mm. St. Mark's is at the lower level of a city, at the lowest. So it always goes down underwater, even when you've got just 10. ten you know, 10 centimeters above uh, the level that should be uh, St. Mark's is under. But yeah. apart from that, let's say the majority of businesses know that now they are safe. Mm -hmm. The only problem is to raise these barriers cost 100,000 euros every single time. Wow. First. Oh my gosh. Yes. So they got to be very careful when they raise them. So there is a minimum the uh, level to which they say okay the barriers only go up if the water goes above this that is good but sometimes you know uh there are some people that people near St. Mark's for example that go down with very little so they didn't solve their problem not only that every time you raise the barriers it's not like you push a button and 20 seconds after the barrier is up right it takes a long time for the barrier to come up it takes a long time for the barrier to come down. Not only that, you are closing the only access that the city has to the open sea. So mm. it means that when the ships, we don't just have cruise ships passing through the port of Venice. This has got to be made clear. Right. You, we always have a chemical plant uh, in Marghera. Okay. And of course, uh, we get petrol coming, uh, oil coming in. You got uh, goods coming in through there, you know, it's a cargo area. But can also we, like can fishing boats get through there? Or are they too? Are they small enough uh, to get through? No, the, the fishing boats are okay. But we're talking about the big petrol oil tankers right. and stuff like right. that. You know. Yeah. So every time you close uh, the uh, barriers, you close the port automatically, and wow. is loads of money that the city loses on that. So before raising them, the city thinks twice all the time because yeah. they got to work it out. Is it costing me more in damages to the people or is it costing me more in revenue that I lose? Yeah. 
not only that, this is not finished. The problem is that because it took so long to build and it was a new thing, nobody actually knew how, if it was going to work or it's not going to work. Now what's happening is it's already all damaged because, of course, uh, the salt or water yeah. is away on wow. metal. <laughs> so, wait, I haven't finished. <laughs> it's causing loads of problems to the environment. So <sighs> to the lagoon, to the beds of a lagoon where you got like uh, uh, algae, uh, uh, yeah. fish, right. all little animals and stuff. So to the seabed is really causing big problems. So yeah. it's good because it stopped people uh, going to sleep with uh, anguish thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna be underwater tomorrow. Right. But at the same time, it's coming with a lot of problems. So hopefully oh we'll work on this. But at the moment, uh, from the point of view of tourists, don't worry, if you come to Venice, you're not gonna be run over by water. Okay, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so if, let's talk about that a little bit. You said it closes the port, so I mean, High water is generally, though, in the winter, right? I mean, it doesn't, it's not really a summer thing too much. I mean, the... no, well, it happens occasionally, but generally it is a winter thing, like uh, around between October, November, December, yeah. uh, because it's all you see, and it doesn't happen all the time because it's a series of things that happen, uh, elements that happen all at the same time. So you have to have the moon in the right position, right. you have a, the a high tide coming yeah. in, you have to have. Uh, the wind blowing towards it okay and uh, you have to have a lot of rain uh, in the mountains what i always found what i always found strange about it is that you know you think it comes in like from the the sea but it actually comes up from the underneath the 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 streets and everything it's like it's it's no no because it comes no what's happening is that you have this surge of water coming in because you have over water that arrives from the river into the lagoon but the water that's arriving into the lagoon cannot go and flow into the sea because you have the winds blowing right. it back in. Right. So the winds blowing back in, and of course, Venice is built on water. Underneath mm-hmm. is water. Right. Right. So of course, it comes from the, uh, you know, from the toilets, from uh, the, everything. the sinkholes and everything. Yes, for that's the reason. So what's happened in 2019, we didn't have one wind blowing in. We had three different winds blowing in. Wow. Okay. You had the high tide coming in, you had the moon, and you had heavy rains. So you can imagine it was a, a perfect, you know, storm. Recipe. Oh, yeah. perfect storm. Recipe for disaster. It was amazing. Wow. And what was amazing was the speed. Nobody was expecting it so fast. It just, it, within an hour, when it usually takes six hours to come up, within an hour, it just went, you know, crazy. Absolutely. Man, that's, uh, yeah, we saw it on TV in the US and just, you know, it was on every news channel and it, it was just incredible. I mean, to see the amount of water and how, how high it got in some of these really nice hotels and, you know, obviously people's homes and businesses. Yeah, um, I think I was the worst. Uh, I think it was uh, the worst. It was for the people living in them. You know, I have some friend, uh, a friend of mine. Uh, she's a very famous journalist and poet, and uh, she just was in tears because I think she carried on cleaning for a month because wow. uh, you had the big way. You know, the big uh, water high tide on the first day, but then it never really went down. So she had to literally throw away every single furniture, the bed, everything, everything. And obviously she's a poet and a journalist. So you can imagine the amount of books she had in her house Mm. and she had to throw away 
everything you know so yeah that's um you know people that has been in floods totally understand i think uh, what we're talking about here well you talked about you know where she lives i don't know what part of venice she lives in but maybe you could just tell us really quick about you know the the different sestiere in venice the different neighborhoods and what they yeah okay what do they kind of represent yeah. yeah So Venice is divided in six districts and we, we are called Sestiere. The word Sestiere comes from the word Sei, six in Venetian. Right. And they are divided. You have the Canareggio district, the Castello district, the San Marco, San Polo, Santa Croce and Orso Duro. We consider also District Giudecca by separate. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's say the Canareggio and the Castello are the... Uh, most the biggest okay and the most residential and for me if people have to come on holiday i always say stay in canareggio stay in castello you are 10 minutes walk 15 minutes walk maximum from st mark's anyway you can go and see whatever you want but at the end of the day you go back to peace and quiet Mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about you know screaming, shouting, whatever, because uh, those are the residential areas of the city and they are really magical. Then you have the Dorso Duro that is now, uh, we, is called now the Dorso Duro Museum Mile because it's where most of the uh, big museums are, okay. You have San Polo that uh, for me is, is one of the oldest part of Venice and is uh, where you get to see all the small little shops of artisan and that's where the area of Rialto is. And you have Santa Croce that is the smallest of the Sestiere and probably is one of the cutest uh, and is near where you arrive in, in uh, Piazzale Roma. Okay. Oh, and then you have, of course, St. Mark's, that is the most famous, of course, is where all the, you know, St. Mark's Square is and all the area there. But I would say my favorite is the Canareggio and Castello, for sure. Castello. That's where I mm-hmm. stayed in Castello. I was a piazza... Santa Zaccaria, I think, was the name. Ah, of the... Campo, 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 Campo. Campo. Okay, Campo, sorry, let's sorry, get sorry. it clear. Let's <laughs> yeah. get it clear. In Thank Venice, you. there is only one square, and right. it is Piazza San Marco. Right. All the open spaces, spaces of Venice are called Campo or Campiello, and that's because it comes from the word field, because originally, Campo in Italian and in Venetian means field, because right. originally all the open spaces of Venice were used to grow things. Hmm. Um, usually in a Campo, there used to be always a church and next to the church you would have a monastery or a convent and uh, the nuns and the monks used to grow the vegetables the fruits the orchard the vineyards whatever that they needed to sustain themselves okay mm-hmm. uh, but also to sell to sustain themselves uh, there were vineyards all over venice because of course they needed the wine wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, and uh, indigenous varieties of wine as well, uh, uh, varieties of wine that don't exist anywhere else in, in the world. And uh, of course, because they used to make the wine for the mass, yeah? And then in, uh, generally, each campo, each campiello, that means a small field, or each courtyard used to have a well in the center. So, you know, the structures that you see when you're walking around Venice. Right. But they're not actually wells, they're cistern. So what you see is called Vera da Pozzo, the outside, is just to tell you, look, here there is access to water, but the actual cistern is underground, the size of the old campo, is filled with clay and sand, 
And when it rained, there were holes in the corners and the water filtered through the ray and uh, sand, sorry, uh, through the um, clay and sand and collected in a cylinder that goes down from the base of what you see down for about two, three meters. And that's how they had the fresh water. Wow. And then there was a system of uh, people, uh, you know, Venice was divided uh, in um, guilds, associations, confraternities, uh, unions, you know, no matter what job you did, you had to belong to a union, okay, and pay taxes. Be the biggest crime in the Republic of Venice wasn't killing your wife or your mother-in-law, <laughs> it was tax evasion, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so everybody had to belong to this uh, confraternity, to these guilds, and there was a guild that took care of the purity of the water. So there was a man that every day was, you know, he, will have, he was in charge of maybe two or three wells, and he had to make sure that the water wasn't contaminated because, of course, contaminated water meant plague. And then okay. he said a big problem with that. So as you can imagine, <laughs> so because it, there was no fresh water coming into the city, of course. So, so that was. I mean, way. was it when the Austrians took over? When they took? Does that want to? all these compi uh, disappeared? No, it was a bit later. It was a bit later, um, but see, in the 1800s, but much later. Okay. Um, yes, and they did finally the aqueduct, but yeah, uh, yeah until recent, recent, I'm talking about like 100 years. That's recent uh, yes. in the time. Well, for the, well, let's say for Venetian's history, that is uh, over a thousand year old, yeah. yeah, 100 years is recent. <laughs> it's like the other day. <laughs> Yeah, okay. they, people don't realize the Venetian Republic lasted even longer than the Roman Republic. I mean, it's a pretty, it was a I long know. Time. Well, the Venetian Republic is actually, was actually one of the longest running republic in the history of the world. Yeah. And uh, the Republic of Venice was also the only state in Europe that was never under the control of the Pope, directly or indirectly. That's right. Because even yeah. Britain, that, uh, you know, with Henry VIII and so on, always thought they were separated from the church. Actually, they weren't, because one way or another, the Vatican always told them who to marry uh, and what to do. So, but Venice, never. Right. Never, never, never. Yeah, yeah. very totally. interesting history. I mean, I, I, it's a really interesting history. If anybody ever uh, visits the city, I would encourage them to you know, learn about the history ahead of time. And, you know, you could take a tour, obviously, of the, the Doge's Palace and, uh, you know, they, and you, get, you learn a little bit of it that way. But I think, you know, if you know a little bit going in, you'll really see it and, you know, and live it while you're there. And yeah. it's, 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 it's funny, Rick, the other day I was reading somebody defined Venice, you know, I'll, you know, people don't realize that Venice is at one stage at its peak extended all the way to Lombardy, all the way to Trieste, all of the, you, what, uh, the ex-Yugoslavia, parts of Greece, the wow. island of Cyprus and parts of Turkish. And I always try to find a way to define it. I keep calling it an empire, but it wasn't. And the other day I read somebody that said that he defined it as a holding, a multinational. Yeah. And actually it is because Ven the Republic of Venice was founded on trading, okay? On commerce, yep. on trading. And he had little branches spread all over the known world. So, you know, and he, his reach was incredible. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, just fascinating history and the, you know, the, the history of the, the, the Maritime Republic and their, you know, their, their Navy and the, you know, the, like you say, merchants all over the world. And um, 
really, I think it's worth knowing about that before mm -hmm. you visit the city because it'll make it a richer experience. Um, well, also because people don't realize that many words that you use in everyday usage come from Venice, actually. Right. They don't. Yeah. So it's. Well, uh, even chow is a Venetian word, isn't it? Uh, it yeah, chow is a Venetian word and is the most, the, the one that everybody now knows, thanks to internet, everybody <laughs> knows right. it comes from Venice. Uh, yeah. All right. Thank you for joining me, Monica, and uh, we'll get a talk now on the other podcast. Okay. It was a pleasure. Thanks. All right. Okay. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, please click over to iTunes to subscribe and leave an honest review. Join me next time when I discuss another topic of Italian culture. Until then, arrivederci.